Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Recorded at the PW offices in New York City, I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I am also co-editor of PW Comics World, as well as the graphic novels review editor for Publishers Weekly and the editor-in-chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com. Follow us on Twitter at PW Comics World. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer, and you can find us on PWComicsWorld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to more, to more to Come on iTunes. And on Facebook, you can find us at Facebook.com slash PWComicsWorld. So let's get right to it. This week on More to Come, um, Small Press Expo 2015. We've got all the news from, from, uh, from the show. Uh, business dispatches looking on the horizon for DC, Marvel, Archie, and Tokyo Pop. Best-selling author, Tana Hasey Coates, goes to Wakanda. And the news briefs. So. Not to mention a special interview, Calvin. Oh, not to mention a special interview with Dylan Horrocks. Thank you so much, podcast producer, with Dylan Horrocks, uh, who we interview on the floor of, uh, SPX and, uh, will be, you'll, you'll hear it following our discussion. So, let's get right to it. Um, the Small Press Expo 2015, an unprecedented Small Press Expo this year. Hey, Heidi. Well, it was unprecedented in that the Ignatz Awards, yes. which are traditionally held Saturday night, were this year swept by female cartoonists. Amazing. Um, it was pretty amazing. And awesome. Um, and four out of the five judges were f- women, but uh, I would say about half the nominees were female. But, you know, this was a pretty ringing endorsement. And But more important, there was not a stinker among the bunch. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the big winner was Sophia Foster Domino, who's um, – Sex fantasy webcomic. You could actually read for free. If you yeah. check our story about small SPX, you can get the link. Uh, but she won three. Ca- uh, and um, Sophie Goldstein, who did The Oven, a book we've talked about before yes. here. Mm-hmm. Uh, she won uh, two as well. Best graphic novel, mm-hmm. best story. And then the other winners, Emily Carroll, Lily Caray, Jillian Tamaki, and Eleanor Davis. I mean, so a nice you know, mix between new, new kind of newbies uh, on the scene and established people. Yes, and I think what's really remarkable about all of them is they are really becoming fiction writers. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, all of them have written stories that are they're kind of like novellas, short stories. Uh, I mean, how to be happy? Eleanor Davis's collection from last year oh, uh, yeah. got a great deal of acclaim, and you know, it's a it's a it's a mix of of kind of stories that are maybe genre tinged, but are really you know more about about human emotions and disappointment yeah. and everything. I mean, they're very literary, and oh, it's oh, very absolutely. exciting. Absolutely, I mean, actually, Eleanor Davis showed up on our podcast. I did an interview with her on the floor of San Diego Comic Con last year. About yes. how to be happy. So, um, and I believe that's one of our, it was a PW best book as well. It was. Yeah. It was on the list, as was Through the Woods by Emily Carroll. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so, um, and, uh, now you, Heidi was, you were at SBX both days. I was down yes. there for, uh, for most of Saturday. Um, the other, I thought, special event, obviously, was the Black Art Matters panel. Yes. A really terrific Black Art panel with a terrific lineup of artists, among them, of course, the fabulous uh, Keith Knight, um, as uh, younger artists who I didn't know much about, Whit Taylor, uh, Daryl Ayo, who I also did not know, and then, of course, Ron Wimberly, who I do know, and the fabulous Spike Trotman. Yes. Um, you know, Whitney Taylor, we also interviewed her for our podcast at MOCA uh, oh, last year oh, or cool. the year before. Very so. cool. Very cool. Um, well, it was, it was standing room only. I mean, the biggest, one of the biggest halls at SBX was packed. Um, uh, 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 well, Keith said his ploy was to call it Black Art Matters. It took a lot of, um, you know, there was much discussion about the title, but he said, look, I know this will get people in the hall. And you know what? He was right. Yes, he was. <laughs> it was packed. Um, but it was a, it, it, well, it was, you know, obviously this was a discussion kind of about the stuff that many black cartoonists have to put up with. Uh, you know, only getting calls in February around Black History Month. <laughs> uh, you know, weird editors who think that if you're a, you're a black comics artist, only black people will read your comics. Uh, As all if of this, anyone really knows just seeing a name on the cover. But, you know, on, but beyond just grousing, I mean, I do think that there was, uh, just a, a big 
uh, embrace of alternative and independent comedy, uh, cartooning in general mm-hmm. and the obstacles that face all independent artists. And, you know, they, the, the, the whole talk really did end on a, just an exalting, you know, persevere, keep showing up, you know, whether you're black or not, this is what it takes, you know, to really make it in comics. Yeah. And I, I think the other discussion was really about how to start a discussion. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, uh, you know, famously Starbucks earlier this year said, uh, you know, <laughs> yes, why don't you start a discussion about race with your barista at Starbucks? Yeah, and, you know, that work. idea didn't go over too well. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, yeah. it is, uh, yeah. maybe that wasn't the proper venue, but starting a discussion does seem to be very, very important. And, starting a discussion uh, when people want a discussion is great. Starting a discussion when people want coffee is maybe not great. <laughs> yes, maybe not. Yes. And I will say that uh, as someone who's been going to, um, you know, SBX, I don't know how many years, but it's got to be close to 10 now. Um, I've never seen uh, so many minorities. Uh, yes, Certainly many black people yes, and there was <laughs> at a, SBX, as I've seen this Absolutely. This and past there weekend. was not only more racial diversity, although a lot more can be done for that. I mean, yes, this panel could, had yes. a very, very diverse crowd. And I talked to Keith about it afterwards. And, uh, you know, he agreed. Uh, but I mean, you know, SPX has been really growing in female participation for the past, oh. I'd say five years. Yeah. Uh, probably 50 50, just, you know, very close, well within that golden yeah. mean, but a, a lot of LGBTQ creators. Um, and you know, I don't know how to, I, I, I don't know how to put this, but you know, small press expo is the one place where, uh, you know, when you go to the bathroom, uh, it's the bathrooms are definitely <laughs> open to, Whoever identifies with that. There you go. That's and and, you know, and that's wonderful. They're non-gendered bathrooms, whether they want to be or not. (laughs) Yes, yes. Or they're gendered, but the way they should be. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And I mean, nobody really bats an eye about it. Absolutely. Uh, But I mean, a lot of uh, trans. There are a lot of trans uh, creators and fans at this show. Well, I mean, I think it's because the indie press and SPX, what it stands for, small press. Um, is, is the place that's open to you if the more mainstream places aren't. And so that's why it's great and important that SPX does feel like a welcoming home to people who Absolutely. may have a little trouble getting in somewhere else. Absolutely. Right, right. Absolutely. But I, I, I also think this is kind of the, um, uh, evolution. I mean, of what we've been seeing. I mean, we talked mm-hmm. about yes. this all year. We've been talking, you know, for the past two years, we have been talking on this podcast so much about, you know, outrage. But, you know, there's always a reason for the outrage and the desperate need for inclusion and diversity in comics. And, Absolutely. you know, Kate, I, I think you're right. But I also think that indie comics, as they were originally um, formatted, you know, even through the undergrounds or whatever. I mean, the underground comics were not a very diverse bunch. Yeah, that's the true. Founding, founding fathers no. were not very diverse. No. Yeah, I was talking about what it is now. It's certainly yeah. not what it has always been. Yes. Right. And no, so it's, not at all. it's good for, <laughs> for it to be this now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think what's, uh, you know, and it's a testament to Warren Bernard. And yeah, the people who put on SPX that that they're really just tapping into this this movement. And you know the Ignatzes were the the cherry on the top. Well, that was. I mean, unfortunately, I was not able to stay stay to, to see them. But that was. Um, I think in your in your uh, uh, in your story, Heidi, um, you you said this was a re- resounding, you know, a mark on on how this you know how diversity, you know, has really made well, a real <laughs> made a real impact. I mean, this is, this is as concrete, you know, as, well, it can get more concrete in terms of where they, where these people end up in the next few years. But clearly, this is really a a kind of a thrilling, um, show by female cartoonists. Yeah, it was. But I, but, you know, I do think, I mean, I was joking at the after party with a whole bunch of people about, you know, are there any emerging male cartoonists? (laughs) And, uh, you know, this sort of became a semi-serious question because it just seems like the, the creators who are really making a mark are uh you know thank god they are not white men well i mean okay here here is i'm sure they're lurking somewhere here's my devil's advocate (laughs) position how do we know that uh where all the white men are are in marvel and dc already because they were snapped up more quickly and spent less time in the indies well, I feel that the work that these cartoonists are doing is um, very, very far outside 
uh, Marvel and DC. And if you ask them, I'm pretty sure that they would say that their goal is to be published by Scholastic or for second and not by Marvel DC. There might be some crossover, but it's a very different uh, breed of generational switch in terms of aspirations. Yeah. Yeah. But I know I was talking, I mean, another big event at the, at the con was a panel, which I was very privileged to moderate, which was Kate Beaton and Noel Stevenson in conversation. Yeah, Yeah, that sounded like it was great. Yeah, and you just don't get any bigger than these two. And, you know, Noelle Stevenson just, uh, Nimona was uh, nominated for a National Book Award. Yes, yes, she was long-listed. Yeah, she was long-listed. And, And, you know, she writes for Marvel. She does, um, she just finished a little run on Runaways. And, you know, Kate Beaton was part of that Strange Tales anthology Mm -hmm. that Uh happened a while ago. Um, I think Jillian Tamaki may have been approached by Marvel or DC. She might have done something in one of their indie anthologies. But, um, you know, with all the books that First Second is putting out, and I, I think pretty viable publishers like, like you know, small press, but like Koyama and Uncivilized and, um, you know, even Top Shelf, Ad House, I think that mm-hmm. their career path for these cartoonists is not through Marvel and DC. And, um, you know, some of them are going to Image. You know, Brandon Graham has definitely got some of them in his Islands yeah. anthology. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but, I mean... In some ways, animation is turning into Absolutely. kind of the career yes. path of choice for, for, for particularly for this class of car, uh, comics artists. Um, uh, we've seen it happening with the, the Adventure Time and uh, the other shows that are related to that. Uh, as well, talking with Jen Vaughn at SBX, uh, Nickelodeon was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they had, they set up an organization. Apparently, Jen was saying Nickelodeon was just going to get a table and have people come up, but they worked out a deal. Uh, she said, we got a little extra money. Um, they got them a, you know, a suite in the hotel so people wouldn't have to be, you know, pitching on the floor. Mm-hmm. So this, for the first time, apparently, you know, people are making appointments, um, uh, you know, I- including our old intern. Um, well, she wasn't an intern, but she worked in the book room. Emily, oh, what's yes, her name? I Emily Emily, I, yes, she I was pitching an animation series to Nickelodeon. So I think that's probably the place where we're going to see you know um, yeah and i i do wonder if the supposed paucity of men isn't that phenomenon that they've noticed with movies and they've found sociologically where people of both genders start perceiving things as being 50 percent women at 13 percent women (laughs) and and at at one third women people perceive it as woman dominated yeah i swear no i i I know that i'm i know about the statistics that you're talking about and, um, you know, it definitely were exaggerating. <laughs> I, I, there are a couple names that came up. Uh, like Sam Alden is absolutely a cartoonist who has kind of absolutely. emerged from the same time frame. And a lot of people mentioned Ben Sears, who has a book coming up from coming out from Koyama. You know, I'd also mention Connor Willemson. I think he's somebody mm-hmm. who's done some work kind of along these lines, although he seems to be kind of homeless and, you know, drifting around. And when he, you know, he settles down, he draws some comics. Um, but I, I, you know, the, 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 is uh, what's his name? Noah Van Skiver. Is he too old to be considered? Um, I think I think he's been around a little. He's been while, around too long. You know? But but you know he's definitely part of the past ten years generation. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. I mean I think when you read a lot of this work, I think you begin to see. I, I think a lot of this has to do with the Center for Cartoon Studies. Oh yes. And you know Sophie Goldstein is a mm-hmm. graduate from there. Uh-huh. Uh, as are as are several of the other recent winners, um, and. Uh, you know, I think SVA's teachers or people were like uh, Jason Little mm-hmm. and Nick Bertozzi, and you know they have a very strong indie background sure. here. So uh, you know, you know, I think that a lot of the cartoonists that are emerging are just coming from a very different, different stream. I mean, this is a very fruitful path for investigation. I'll put it that way. Um, and and also, I I do think that a lot more women are working in animation out there. I mean, it's certainly not as easy as it is. It's not as as um you know open as comics are right now but uh, quite a few are working in animation and uh you know it's a brand new world with brand new stories and that's pretty exciting yeah so, i'm not quite willing to, to to take the notion that somehow or the uh the male species is like overwhelmed but you know there, yeah, there's certainly a tremendous number of talented young women uh that are like stepping up to the plate here's a question about all this animation and people going into animation when somebody pitches something to say nickelodeon or cartoon network do they need to be animators themselves or just uh someone who can draw it and write it 
I don't know. Um, I, I think that they need to be able to draw and write it. And, yes. You know, most of the p- people that I talked to who had pitched uh, had comics that they were pitching for adaptation. That, or they might have a pitch, but, you know, if yeah, they were they artists, they a- would have some character designs. You know, it's not like they have to sit down and, you know, do the whole thing in Maya. But um, Right. So they're, you know. they're the the showrunner dash creators. They're not the yeah, people actually drawing exactly. animation. Well, you sounds. know, Rebecca Sugar uh, of Steven Universe is uh, a prime example. You know, she used to be, and you know what? I might have her name wrong, so I'm going <laughs> to ruin my own. But uh, she is a cartoonist. She started out as a cartoonist, and then she got into animation, and now she rules the universe, you know? So <laughs> uh, with a show that's so hot, you know, or, uh, you know, um, being Puppycat, Natasha Allegri, she's another one who's kind of had an indie cartoon background, and mm. now she has her own cartoon. So, uh, you know, and, and I mean, Jesus, this started with Adventure Time and Pendleton Ward hiring a whole lot yes, of people. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the Adventure Time era we're living in yes. right now. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and on the note of female creators, just go, just very quickly, some of the big books uh, at SBX that maybe didn't get awards, but were are were definitely part of the the publishing announcements. Um, I was really impressed with Liz Suburbia's uh, graphic novel uh, Sacred Heart, coming from Fantagraphics. Um, uh, Jennifer Hayden's um, The Story of My Tits about their uh, her their breast cancer and her family. Um, they were, I mean, Chris Darles is really pumping this book he yeah. i you know he just believes it's it's really the book of the moment um what else did i leave something out here oh oh carl speak mcneil and alex DeCampi's uh kind of young adult survivalist graphic novel no mercy from image yeah that's a great book also yeah. um yeah I, there was no but uh, you know what a great book i was again privileged i had such a great time at small press expo i just it's wouldn't great. give this up for anything uh it's- i was very lucky to have dinner with uh with a bunch of cartoonists and be seated next to Bill Griffith, ah. who has a, a new book come out called yes. Invisible Ink. And this is a memoir with a very startling subject. <laughs> yeah, I know. Does it reveal, did he reveal who the, it's in the book? Yes, somewhere. he does. He did. Yeah. It's, it's in the promo pieces, but yeah. you know, basically like, like his mother revealed that she'd been having a long-term affair with a, with a cartoonist and, and he kind of put this out of his mind. And then he went through her papers and kind of uncovered the secrets of the nuclear family that had been, covered up for a long time so you know it's about his specific situation but kind of also about about how we just don't talk about a lot of things sometimes yeah yep yep uh very interesting anyway uh really uh like i said unfortunately i was only there for uh for saturday but you know sbx and tcaf are you know right at the top of the food chain those these are great great shows yeah and you uh yeah don't just Calvin. You have to stay over Saturday night. Sometime. They have a prom <laughs> gonna, this year. We're, we're, it's, it's just everybody stands out in the hall, drinks beer, uh, with and just hangs out. It's I'm, amazing. I'm, I'm coming. The, you know, the problem, of course, this year was that the Brooklyn Book Festival oh, yes. was was a con- in conflict. They were both scheduled for the same weekend, and I was actually moderating a very nice panel on Sunday afternoon uh, with Marguerite Van Cook um, and her book, The Late Child and Other Small Animals. Uh, Ted Rawls, uh, Snowden graphic bio, and uh, Peter Cooper talked about ruins. His new graphic novel. So, yeah. uh, was, quick plug here. It? Yes. Uh, quick plug here. We have a Snowden interview with Rawl himself. If you want to yes, go back, yes, yes, yes. Go back. Look in the archives. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Dutch Calvin, how was the Brooklyn Book Festival? The Brooklyn Books Festival. It was fabulous, and it was it's it was impressive also because they're doing a lot of work on the Borough Hall Plaza. So the usual setup was gone because usually people sit on the steps of Earl Hall and there's a, the stage is set up in front of that. Well, they couldn't do that because it's all under construction, but it's bigger than ever before. There are tents, uh, and, and, and in fact, some of the larger indie publishers had tables at Brooklyn Book Festival and at SBX, Drawn and right. Quarterly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, NBM, where yeah. they were in both places that that shows you where the small press is these days it is it's growing and and, you know just to to, um throw in another like it's growing and it's great uh sort of note here i just today is as as we started this podcast at emerald city comic-con in seattle it's uh, one of the big shows of the year uh their tickets went on sale at noon pacific time and uh, four-day passes were sold out by about 4 30 so great the uh, comma conification yeah. of um, the everything. The hotel rooms are going fast. Of so by everything. the time you hear this, it'll be too late. Uh, 
Okay. Uh, well, it was a good weekend for comic shows. Just jam-packed, you could yes. say. All right. Okay. So let's segue from that into what's looking at – let's look at on the horizon for uh, what's going on with some publishers. Well – Despite how great things are going, <laughs> which, well, which, in the indie world, yeah, there, there's a lot of talk about. I think we're having a market correction, and I've pretty heard heard this from a lot of people. Mm. And we've been talking about it on past editions of the podcast. Kate yes. and I talked about it when you were out of the office, Calvin. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, there's just a lot of rumblings, a lot of different places. So just to recap, uh, sure. I, I was, I learned, I was tipped off this week that, uh, five people had been laid off at Archie Comics. Yeah. And they have a very small staff of 30 people. So that's a pretty sizable layoff. Mm. It was a couple people from production, a couple people from the warehouse, and an art director. Yeah. So, uh, but, you know, I mean, I think if you were just kind of looking at some of the things that we had talked about in the past, you wouldn't have really thought that Archie was about to lay some people off. No, not at all. I mean, they seem to have had one, like, success after another. I mean, the the, the reimagining, reimagining of the Archie line seems has been one of the big, you know, boom successes of uh, recent years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On the other hand, I mean, it could be that emboldened by that. They may have gotten a little ambitious and slightly overreached. Um, perhaps that's why they went to a Kickstarter, which sort of surprised people. Right. Well, and, I mean, the signs were there with the Kickstarter. Well, I mean, he did um, the um, CEO there, whose name is um, John you. Goldwater. 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 Um, I mean, in his response, he did talk about how that they are, you know, they didn't necessarily weren't able to launch you know, new series um, that they would like to in the way that maybe a bigger publisher could. And he mentioned in passing some financial constraints. I mean, I think the problem that they had with the kick, the, the Kickstarter was the scale of the thing. Um, I, I just think that if, if a company with a brand name as big as theirs is going to do a Kickstarter, uh, and I think it's perfectly acceptable that they do do them, mm-hmm. but I do think they have to structure them very clearly. And I really think the artists have to be out in front in some way. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I'm, I think if you're kind of putting some of these, drawing a line or, you know, sleuthing it out a little bit, um, you know, it costs a lot more to hire a, uh, Mark Wade or a Chips at absolutely. RC than it does to hire some of the people who were doing the comics before. Oh, wow. And, you know, absolutely. what's, uh, variant covers, uh, those don't come cheap. So, you know, the, the cost of putting out comics, uh, although rates have not increased mm-hmm. over the last like 10, 15 years, they're kind of steady. If you're in just in the middle, um, you know, it's still a pretty significant outlay of money. Yeah. Well, yeah. And also when you think about what their old business model was, they weren't taking the big names. They weren't making the variant covers. So they've taken on some extra expenses and, you know, their business model is now they're attempting to be closer to the business model of quote unquote regular comics and, mm-hmm. That's a chancier business. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, Archie's uh, downsizing comes amid some other signs of downsizing. I mean, well, that we've just been hearing about, you know, mm-hmm. I, you know, DC spent kind of uh, the DCU initiative has kind of laid an egg, as we've been talking about. And I heard from another very good source that they had cut some of their freelancing rates uh, for not necessarily the comics, but for some of the ancillary stuff that they were doing. Um and who knows if rate cuts for the comics will follow. I mean, I've also heard that, uh, I also ran a story where Diane Nelson, the head, uh, the president of DC Entertainment, did a speech and talked about how DC properties are worth $8 billion. So in licensing, so there's, you know, a little bit of money to go around. <laughs> I, I've heard from some people that, uh, you know, there is some confusion at DC, but at the top, they are really going to ride this out, you know, and, um, and you know, stick with it. <laughs> you know, what else are they going to do? But but you know, they are they're sticking with it for now. Well, and, with you know, eight we billion about, dollars, they can afford to stick with it. And yes. Didn't didn't Nelson also in that same speech? And I and I know this basically from the, from the, the the story on the beat. Make it a point to point out the key uh, power of the publishing properties in making all of this uh, licensing possible. 
Well, she said that, yes. <laughs> Does she believe it? <laughs> uh, you know, listen, uh, there's an uh, uh, iZombie TV show on that has to do with, uh, based on the mm. Vertigo comic. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, that one And they brought happened. it back for a second ser- season. I mean, I mean, yeah, all of this, yeah. all of this media stuff we talk about, I mean, it exists, it exists because of um, the comics. It beca- <laughs> it, it's there because of the comics. And I think not only are the comics a test ground, but they're aware that the history and weight of the comics gives it a kind of cachet that it wouldn't if it were just made up by the marketers to sell toys. Yes. And I mean, this is why everybody gets into comics. It's the cheapest IP development there is. Absolutely. Accent on the cheap. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but I, I do think that, uh, DCU's kind of soft sales, there's a, there's a story on Scrib today, David Harper's site, where he's always interviewing people about industry issues, talking about retailers, talking about how sales aren't that great. But, you know, uh, I, we even, I, I even made a convert of Kate here on the podcast telling her about Omega Men, and Omega Men was originally canceled, but then they said, you know what, we're going to give it 12 issues to see if it catches on. So, you know, there are do seem to be some some mm-hmm. uh, hits that are emerging from it. But, you know, over at Marvel, even though things are doing pretty well there, um, there is a uh, – a lot of their books are shipping late for Secret Wars. And I've begun to hear some retailers kind of get antsy about that. You know, oh. if the books are shipping late, that means the cash flow is Retailers impeded. hate that. Well, Boy, I, mean, I had to learn that as I got back into the direct market. The retailers go absolutely bonkers. Um about book shipping late. Well, I mean, I will tell you this. On the fan end of the line, um, people have... I mean, I've, I've stopped hearing about Secret Wars. Like, literally, mm-hmm. I've stopped hearing anything about it. Like, I go into a comic store, and I'm like, oh, that's still going on? Who knew? <laughs> right. I mean, I don't think shipping late helps, but I think the fact it's been going on for so long right. is not helping anything. Right. I agree. And, um, you know, I mean, this could also be a little bit of a slowdown that could hurt retailers. And, you know, I just, there's, listen, we've been doing really well. I, I was just looking back on the beat at some stories I had written, like, even six years ago. And I was talking about after the recession hit in 2008, how people mm-hmm. were bouncing back. And, you know, we've had a pretty good, we've had a pretty good run since the new 52. It's been. Yeah. Uh, been steady growth. And you know what? Uh, everything changes. You know, I mean, there's always going to be corrections and, uh, it's a really, you know, there's a lot of new readers out there. And, and one thing that I learned in my snooping around was that, that, uh, uh, DC has definitely done studies that show that they need to have new readers. They need to have more diverse readers and, in order to survive. And, um, you know, we're seeing that happen, but it's going to take probably a little bit of a while for them to get into the habit of reading some of these books. But so, I, 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 I would oh. say the industry is in, the, in its best place to weather a new collection than it, it ever has. There no are more kinds of – there's more the genres. You know, oh, oh, absolutely not. There's more genres. There's more readers. There's more outlets. There's more places you can go and find comics than ever before. Right. I mean, right. I think it would be great if everything worked all the time, but that's not how <laughs> well, the universe, that's right? not how anything works. I mean, yeah. some experiments will fail, and that doesn't mean that the general idea was a bad one. It means that you need to try a new experiment. Yeah. So in a weird way, given comics' tendency to beat um, bad ideas into the ground as witness late 90s Marvel. Um, <laughs> the fact that they're they're making a course correction at a relatively healthy place might be a good sign. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. Um, you know, I think it, it is. Everyone I talk to is uh, saying this is a course correction. This is a yeah. market correction. This is not the end of the world. Yes. This is just a kind of a healthy, you know, retrenchment of some of the business resources. Yeah. And you know, I mean, Todd Allen had the piece we talked about yes. on the last mm-hmm. time last time about you know four risk factors and. Um, you know, nothing is without risk, and all those things on yeah. there are important things to look at. And uh, you know, I, we're we're there's there's a lot yeah. more to come on this. The economies, yeah. markets are cyclical; uh, they they yes. invariably boom and bust uh, up and down. So we're going to see something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But interestingly, and probably influenced by market forces, word on the street is that. Well, who knows if this is an event and something they'll go back on and one of those things that will change forever that don't change forever. But word is that Marvel is going to have no new mutants. I don't mean groups called the new mutants. I mean new mutants being born because funny thing about that, 
Marvel doesn't have movie rights to mutants. So, therefore, um, hand wave, hand wave, things will happen in the Marvel universe, and people born with powers will be born with them for other reasons, and there won't be any more mutants, because then they can't make the MCU f- wonderful movie dollars. <laughs> well, that, an interesting diatribe there, but, but and on point, too, because we've talked about this in the past, yeah. that there's something going on with, you know, the mutants, and They're Marvel's not- business plan. Yeah, I mean, a lot of time mutants are sterile, so they probably couldn't yes. have had babies anyway. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, um. But this is all for to keep money out of the pocket of Fox or to, or to force him to get the rights back to. Or, or to keep or money something. in Marvel's pocket because why develop a character you can't yeah, put in Yeah, I mean, movie? I've been, you know, I've been snooping around and trying to find out really what's, what, you know, we've talked in the last few weeks about how, uh, there's been a split between yes. Marvel Studios and Marvel Publishing with uh, Kevin Feige. Uh, and Marvel Studios now reporting to Bob Iger and uh, Marvel Publishing and Marvel TV still reporting to Ike Perlmutter. Um, and I, I, no one will talk about this. Everyone is so terrified of both, both sides. Of this. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, that there is terrors. no, there is no talk, <laughs> uh, you know, about, uh, not really certain what's going on, but you know, the, I will say that the non-mutant thing definitely seemed to stem from Perlmutter's side of things. So, uh, you know, who knows? Uh, this is anytime you're, you're running a business that can be, uh, you know, the course can be set by mercurial whims. Uh, you, you are a little bit more tenuous position. Yeah. I mean, th- I do think some part of me who, who loves just messing with people's minds, some trolly bit of my brain goes, wouldn't it be brilliant if they were using everyone's fears of things being hurt by the movies to make everyone actually believe in one of their everything will change forever events. Mm, very smart, Kate. Very I mean, that smart. would be amazing, but I, I'm not sure it's likely. It's like life yeah. is a marketing platform. <laughs> but you know, as, as tenuous as some of this is, some people are jumping back into the arena. You know, we just ran a story about Tokyo Pop coming yes, back. Yeah. Yes. If, well, if you want to talk about it, you know, a commercial phoenix rising from the ashes and collapse of a collapsed market. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Tokyo Pop, um, in, a in a story that we've got on the, on, uh, com slash comics by our manga correspondent, Deb Aoki. Talk with, um, Stu, Stu Levy, the, um, uh, the CEO of Tokyo Pop, the CEO and founder, um, uh, the erstwhile leader of the manga revolution. Um, uh, it, Tokyo Pop is actually making noises about reviving Tokyo Pop North America. Remember now that Tokyo Pop Germany continues to thrive, um, and has. It was unaffected by the events that Tokyo went through, Tokyo Pop went through here in the U.S. and in North America. But they, uh, they're, they're, they're putting some projects together, some of which they can't talk about or won't talk about, but they, um, uh, they've been hinting that look for them around the beginning of the year. But even more important, particularly regarding, uh, a lot of the controversy about, uh, original English manga and the contracts. I mean, Tokyo Pop went out and signed scores of young manga influenced artists to do this new version of, you know, Western, you know, ma- you know, <clears throat> uh, manga influence manga. Uh, and of course, all of that came to a grinding halt when the company yeah, shut down. But now they're back. They've launched a, a new self-publishing a platform called Pop Comics. Um, and as, um, Stu says himself, we don't own any of it. You know, all creators who use it, uh, own everything a hundred percent. Uh, they're going to be digitally distributed. Um, uh, it's, he's trying to create a new platform and, you know, it's, you know, certainly at this point, uh, I'm, you know, Mr. Perpetually Optimistic, but I do, (laughs) but I can't help, you know, look for all the problems that that Stu Levy, um, is accused of causing Tokyo Pop transformed the comic space here in many, many ways. Uh, and even in this unfortunate OEL program, uh, with those exception of a few of them, um, people like uh, Svetlana Kimakova, who really became a star, or Felipe Smith, that were published books to that thing. These are tremendously talented people that have gone on to have full careers. So we're going to keep an eye on Pop Comics. Um, uh, as it's, as he said, it's going to be, uh, it'll be free for consumers to read, supported by advertising. In some ways, he's kind of subverted the, um, the whole the Scanla- or the Scanlation model in some ways. Right. 
you know, only if, the because, actual creators get the ad yes, money. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so the pirates. So uh, supported by online ads, creators get seventy percent. Uh, seventy to seventy-five percent of all ad new ad new, The rest goes to Tokyo Pop. Um, we'll see, but it's an yeah. interesting platform. It is, and uh, you know, if they're planning to go on ad revenue, um, I hope they like soup because uh, <laughs> With ad blockers you know, out there. Yeah, <laughs> well, who you know, knows? Uh, Apple just yeah, Apple just <laughs> launched iOS nine, yes. iOS nine with uh, ad blockers built in. So that uh, you know, there <laughs> a lot of talk about that. Yes, yes, well, but uh, um, but yeah. You know, listen, we, we, this is what we do on this podcast. We look at business and, uh, there's comings and goings. Yes, absolutely. But sometimes they do something very smart, like Marvel did yesterday. Yes, they sure. And boy, oh boy, did they do something spectacular. It's, I don't even want to say it out loud. I'm afraid it might not happen. <laughs> well, look, uh, uh, you know, Utana Ishi Coates, the best selling author of what Between the World and Me, his extraordinary look at race relations in the U.S has been signed to do and I should say uh apparently and not actually not even secretly no, he's, he's a been pop tweeting culture about nut. it all day or oh, yeah. well I mean in terms of his his, his comic book background. Oh, I mean, yeah. he's, he's a long term he's, he's written about he's it many a times. Nerd. Like I, I actually yes. have not read his books. I frequently read his columns online from the Atlantic. Yes. And many times he's talked about the influence on comics, yes. on his life and, and reading and style. And so And he's a Marvel head and he's been signed to write the Black Panther this is show-stopping, traffic-stopping news. Uh, it is. If anyone and- is likely to get Black Panther right, as far as... <laughs> Boy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think well, We're so going to find out. <laughs> there's so much that's interesting about this. And, you know, we've talked about how Marvel came under fire when yes. they launched yes. their line of hip-hop variants. And then both Axel Alonso and Tom Brevoort, the two main editorial heads at Marvel, were caught on the Internet making statements that seemed pretty... Uh, problematic and um you know that and and they also kind of said this oh we've got something up our sleeve you know it's not done yet that that uh i don't know even with this announcement uh, i think if you look at their past statements they still come off as kind of um buffoonish but i mean i I feel like well all is forgiven (laughs) well i feel like this is its own thing like like looking at black panther this can make him happy about black panther and other things have to be judged on their own merits but uh on this i think they've made a very good choice and we'll we'll see what happens i'm gonna wait to see but and and if i may just make a personal note i mean i uh you know i actually know um his father um from years and years back uh he's a terrific guy I actually met him. Uh, he's a former Black Panther Party member. Uh, when I met him, I was a student at Howard University, and he was uh, actually selling books from a cart in front of Crampton Auditorium, which is the big, um, uh, what the auditorium? The auditorium. Yes, yeah, the big auditorium on on campus. Um, years later, after I moved to New York, it turns out he had, that he is both a publisher. He he's the publisher of Black Classic Press, which is it keeps uh, classic um, works of Afro Americana in print. Uh, he's also one of the few black printers in America. He runs his own print. Uh, he prints books and other things. Um, and he was on the National Book Foundation board. Um, that's the organization that runs the National Book Awards. I actually emailed him when I heard about this yesterday with the headline from the Times article. And my message was, now the brother is getting really serious. So I got it. <laughs> I got an email back from him saying, I thought you would really be impressed by that. So there you go. <laughs> I, I am indeed. So hopefully we're going to see if we can't get some sort of interview with Mr. Coates. We'll yeah, see what happens. But I mean, it's it's very exciting. I mean, it's exciting for two reasons. It's exciting to see Marvel, um, you know, going to the diversity, you know, adding to the diversity of their lineup. And it's just really exciting to see a writer of Coates' importance, you well, know, writing a comic book. Yes. Yeah. And, um, you know, there, I, I, it's interesting comic. Uh, I always talk about this because I think it's really underrated is, is The American Way that was written by John Ridley, who's another African American. Yes, that was a terrific um, series. It, it, it really was. And, you know, Ridley is definitely quite controversial in his own way. Um, but, you know, he wrote, uh, something that was, was, uh, really interesting and, and a great yarn as well. So, uh, you know, they've announced that this will be a really strong storyline for Black Panther. And you know what? It's about time. So yeah. a lot of people will be paying attention to this. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, it's been really interesting, I think, over the last 10 years or so, the numbers of novelists, um, writers of all kind, 
writers in many cases did maybe you didn't associate with comics are hungry mm-hmm. to Absolutely. get involved in the yeah. medium. Yeah, I mean, it's really fascinating to me that, for example, uh, Marvel was like, you know who we want to write X-23? A romance novel writer. But, you know, when yeah. you read her romance novels, you're like, oh, she tends to write about people being menaced by shadowy evil scientists. I see why they picked her. <laughs> but, you know, like she had said that, like, she was really super eager to get on board with Marvel. And I buy it. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. um, you know, there's quite a few. I, I know the recent Catwoman is written by a, a, a YA novelist. And, you know, heck, um, uh, Mariko Tamaki is best known as a YA novelist. And, mm-hmm. you know, she's obviously done some great stuff with her cousin Jillian. But, uh, yeah. You know what? It's 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 a fascinating uh, bringing people these different viewpoints into comics, and uh, you know, cross pollinization makes you stronger. Absolutely. All yes. Right. All right. Uh, so, shall we move to the briefs? We shall. But first, yes, an interview. Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. Well, I'm at SBX, a small press expo, uh, one of the premier uh, displays, uh, shows for independent comics in the country. Uh, I'm here with Dylan Horrocks. Uh, Author of um, the acclaimed Hicksville, uh, author of the current, the new book out now, Sam Zabel and the Magic Pen. Um, Dylan, welcome to More to Come. Hello, it's lovely to see you again. Yes, well, <laughs> yes, this is a, a reunion of sorts. I, I was, I think, I interviewed you in 2012 at the Franklin Book Fair. It was my first trip to the book fair, uh, yeah. and I and, and I had seen a presentation that you did there uh, about growing up in New Zealand and and the power to comics had, uh, and also some issues around digital comics. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about New Zealand comics scene today, but first, maybe you could tell uh, our listeners something about uh, Sam and the Magic Pen. Well, it's Sam Sable and the Magic Pen is a book I, I slowly worked on over the last 10 years, and I was partly drawing it to, to find my way out of a real uh, hole that I dug for myself. Um, I spent a while writing superhero comics for DC, and um, and I kind of lost the ability to write and draw entirely. I, I'd fallen out of, I you know, I've had this lifelong relationship with comics, but that that relationship had become very complicated. Ah, very I, interesting. Uh, I, I guess I was writing comics. I didn't really, I, they weren't mine. Uh-huh. They, they weren't mm-hmm. my kind of thing. Um, but uh, one of the one of the central questions that emerged as I was wrestling with this was my feelings about the ethics of fantasy that the stories we tell are often wish fulfillment fantasies power fantasies and so on and uh, sexual fantasies and sexual of course many many <laughs> sexual fantasies and um, and and sometimes I kind of you know I, I become anxious about about whether where those fantasies are taking us um, partly as individuals but mostly really as a society um, so the magic pen was partly my way of exploring that question and the mm. issues around it, but it was also my way of of, um, of trying to to rediscover the joy of fantasy and the joy of immersing yourself in an imaginary world. Well, the book itself does, in many ways, in the same ways that Hicksville does. It seems to bring together so many threads of the comics world. Certainly, it does seem to be an. Ex- exploration of the imagination of a cartoonist. Um, but, I mean, it's everything from fan culture. Um, I mean, there's there's so many strands of this strange life that we've all decided we belong to. Yeah, and one of the things I've, I've been interested in the last 10 or 15 years is the way uh, the comics scene, the comics world, is changing so much and so fast. Mm-hmm. In a really exciting way. Yes, you know, I, feel I, I like think so too. It's, I feel like there's a whole new world of comics uh, readers and creators and fans and publishers and, and critics and scholars. There's this whole new world of, of, of comics which is emerging, emerging um, just as the, the world that I guess I grew up with being, I mean, I'm turning 50 next year, so I've, I've been engaged with comics for a long time. I feel like that comics world, um, it's, you know, it's still there, but, but the new one is bigger and, and 
and in some ways, you know, it's so interesting. I so couldn't agree with you more. It's, it's more complicated. It is, to, to yeah. use the word of the hour, it's more diverse. And by oh, that, I mean, I mean that, I'm just meaning genres. There's, yeah. it's, we, we don't really live in a one genre comic book world anymore. Certainly, that's the kind of comic book world I grew up in. Right. Um, it was a superhero comic book world. Right. But, I mean, I feel like, I feel like, I mean, I guess diversity is a, <laughs> it's an easy word to throw around. Well, it, 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 it's but the, I, the word of the like moment, but it's, it is. it's a useful word. <laughs> and, and actually, I, I think that it, it is a, a useful word to describe so many aspects of what's happening mm-hmm. that, that the readership is, is, and the creators and so on are, are more diverse in, in every possible way. Um, you know, gender and ethnicity Absolutely. and culture and nationality. Absolutely. And I, you know, I, the comics that I'm excited by at the moment, um, they come from all over the world. You know, yes. I, there's there's a really interesting comic scene emerging in China right now, an alternative comic scene, most of which is interesting. Yeah, yeah, most of which is not being published in China. Yeah, yeah I can imagine. Um, but but is getting published in other places and is devoured in China when people uh-huh. can get it. Uh, and there's there are some very interesting cartoonists emerging in Africa. Um, India has a very 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 interesting yes. lively alternative mm-hmm. scene. Uh, you know, it's like the idea that comics consisted of of manga from Japan, um, superhero comics from America, uh, and even maybe you know, some, superhero comics and alternative comics. comics. Yeah, maybe a few yeah. comics and from then, France. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's that. Yes. that's disappearing. You know, I mean, that stuff's all there, and there's still exciting Absolutely. things happening there too. But it's it's um, there's this whole other world, which is is a it's a vaster world in terms of of the the. The breadth of what's happening, as well as the emerging world of self-publishing in indie uh, comics, which I think is also changing the game. Not only in the prose world, which I also cover as because I record publish this weekly, uh, it's changing the game there, but it's certainly changing the game in comics, which actually has a more respected tradition of self-publishing, I think, than the traditional publishing world does. Well, I think I think comics is in a special place for for engaging with that self-publishing revolution, simply because it's in our DNA. You know, we yeah. yeah. I think self-publishing has been a a big part of what comics has wrestled with for for probably three generations, if not right from the beginning. Yeah. You know, I mean, and in New Zealand, comics has always been self-publishing. We, and very quickly, because I know you have to get to a panel. Yeah. What? Tell us something about the comic scene in New Zealand. Oh, the comic scene in New Zealand is exploding. It's, mm. it's we've always had one, and there's always been an amazing array of cartoonists. Mm. But right now, uh, we, for many years, I think we've had a lot of good people doing great comics. What we've now got is an infrastructure emerging as well. To so, support them. You mean, you mean fans and stores and, yeah, and, well, and shops? <laughs> and publishers. Pub- I mean, and publishers, so, of course. So of we've, course. in the last five years, we've had a, a few of the sort of mainstream book publishers have started to dabble in graphic novels. Um, my books in New Zealand are published by Victoria University Press. So it's, it's oh, kind of one of a, our... A university press It's a university you. press. Very which, interesting. Which is also one of our main publishers of literary fiction and poetry. And um, I have a lot of friends published by them. It's a, it's a really lovely place to be published. Um, but there's also, uh, in in the last couple of years, we've started to, to build comics specialist publishers. So there are now three um, publishers who are just doing graphic novels and comics. You care to mention their names? Or? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so there's Earth's End Publishing uh, and Pikitia Press, which is the Māori word for picture. Okay. Pikitia Press. And the third one is um, Square Planet Comics. And all of them are starting to publish locally produced comics and books. Um, and, in fact, one of the uh, graphic novels... Recently published, Dharma Punks by Ant Sang. I just saw it on our review stack. Yeah, it, it's, it's, isn't self-made. Who's, no, who's it's published by um, Conundrum. Conundrum, who are oh, based yes, in no, Canada. Yes, yes, yes. So, so they've I, done a North American edition. That I've seen. I haven't read it. I saw it. I thought it looked. This looks interesting. Oh, it's Dun- a wonderful ah, book. It's great. A, I will make it a point. Yeah, really. It's a very important book in New Zealand because uh, it was first drawn about 15 years ago. Yeah. And uh, Ant Sang, who drew it, he serialized it as a series of comic books. Um, but he always conceived of it as a single story. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it was never collected because... It's 400 pages long, yeah. and it was just too daunting for anyone to yeah. take on. So um, so he has had uh, another graphic novel published since then, which is shorter and um, has done very well in New Zealand. It won awards. It was a bestseller. 
that was published by, by just a regular book publisher. Um, but but this one, Dharma Punks, we needed we needed a comics specialist publisher to be brave enough to do to it. Do it. Yeah. Um, and they ran a very successful Kickstarter. They published that book. And it's now getting a North American release as well. And it's a classic of New Zealand. I, I, I Very good Another work. key element you just touched on, I think, of the, the current moment is crowdfunding. And, and oh, yeah. the, the ability that it has yep. given people to, to get comics out that might be perceived as not having a market. Yeah, and not just Kickstarter, which has been amazing to get work in print. Um, and we've had some great successes in New Zealand with that. But also Patreon. Which uh, I know yeah. of, I know of a couple of yes. New Zealand cartoonists. Oh, they're making a living yeah. doing their yeah. comics through Patreon. Yeah. It's extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. Look, this is terrific to talk to. I don't want to hold you anymore because I know there's a panel and a room <laughs> packed of fans waiting to get you there. But look, uh, uh, Dylan, thank you so much for being on More to Come. You're always good to talk to you. Oh, Bill. Great. Thank you. A pleasure. And I'm glad we got Tom. Sorry. Yes. That, oh, that's great. I'm glad I got a chance to catch it. Yeah. Let me get the stool. Uh, I saw Heidi before too. You and that was a great interview, guys. Uh, now, on to the briefs. That was a good drum break. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. So, this one is either a brief or a rumor, depending on who you ask. Um, there has been, apparently, a leak from WB about a very surprising DC property that may be getting a superhero movie. Um, according to several articles in the last few days, Warner Brothers is developing a Booster Gold and Blue Beetle team-up buddy movie with Greg Berlanti, who is on a number of DC TV shows, Supergirl, The Flash, Arrow, as executive producer and director. So this is kind of interesting because the... DCU in film has up to this point been going for the dark and gritty angle, but maybe they're going for the things Marvel isn't doing angle because no one's done a superhero buddy flick yet. Um, so that could be an interesting angle. There may be more to come on this. Let's keep our ears to the ground. On a slightly more artistic end of comics, Drawn and Quarterly, one of the last holdouts, has come to Kindle and Comixology. And so digital comics conquer all. Yeah. yeah. I, well, it's it, it, it's about time. They're going to sell a lot of books uh, in print and digital because of this deal. But really what I think what's interesting is it's um, it's both Comixology and the Amazon platform. Yeah. And I think what's also interesting, though, is that I think they only have about 13, 17 books available so far. So, you know, they're not really going all in. I understand that uh, their cartoonists who wanted to be on digital mm-hmm. are on digital. Uh, you know, some of their cartoonists do not want to be on digital. Well, I mean, that seems fair enough. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. So, yeah. But, you know, it's a start. And I'm sure once the, the cartoonists who are on digital start getting their royalty statements <laughs> and tell the cartoonists who don't want to be on digital. <laughs> they'll change their minds. <laughs> I think a lot more will want to be on digital. I hear you. All right. So well, I guess that's it for this yeah, week. It looks like it is, huh? So I guess we can only say there will be more to come.